Chapter One, Part Two of Fairy Realm by Tom Hood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. The Sleeping Beauty, Part Two. Down by the river that runs through the wood, the horns are gaily winding. Tra la la la, that music good denotes the red deer's finding. Tra la la la, la 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 la, the echoes repeat the music sweet that tells of the red deer's finding. Over the river and over the plain, through forest, vale, and hollow, tra la la la, that note again bids all good huntsmen follow. Tra la la la, la 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 la. The sweet notes fail along the gale, then all good huntsmen follow. By many a mile of moorland vast, by many a mile of forest, tra la la la, the huntsman's blast tells where the chase is sorest, tra la la la, la 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 la. O hapless dear, thy fate is near, which vainly thou deplorest. In vain the flying quarry seeks the dark wood's friendly branches. The chase is done, its race is run, the dogs are at its haunches. The prince looks back, he rides alone, his sweet no longer follow, and he can hear no friendly cheer in answer to his hello. What a chase, what a race, what a terrible pace! He's outridden his friends, it's a very queer case. Where can he have got? What's the name of the place? He'll never be able his steps to retrace. He pulls up his steed, not too early indeed, for the poor beast is finished. It shakes like a reed. If his home lay quite near, and he knew where to steer, his horse could not carry him there, that is clear. Meanwhile each lengthening shadow shows the day is drawing to a close. In two more hours the glowing sun will down the western heavens run, and quench its glories manifold in yon bright sea of molten gold. Before him that dense thicket vast and dim spreads out its awful silence and seclusion, and none is near to tell its tale to him and scare intrusion. On either side his path a giant bole rears its huge form, a rude gigantic column. That gloomy portal does not fill his soul with fancies solemn. His step is light on the luxuriant sod, from the green blades a thousand dewdrops burning. Little he dreams that path has near been trod by foot returning. Heedless he views the dark nooks in the glades, passing to spots that shafts of sunlight brighten, nor knows that human bones within those shades are laid to whiten. For him there is no terror in the spot, no hint of deaths to which its interest sad owes, for him no spectres in its bright sunshine blot or fill its shadows. For him the secret of that grove profound is locked away, that tragic tale and tearful, 
To him the death-like calm that reigns around Is strange, not fearful. So on he fares through sunshine and through shade, By paths that near before were trod by mortal, To where the dusky forest's green arcade Leads to a portal. Along the silent avenue the young prince gaily passes, Tis carpeted with velvet moss beneath the nodding grasses. The dreamy sunlight through the boughs upon the green sward streaming Sets here and there with radiance rare a lingering dewdrop gleaming. On either hand rise lofty stems, above the branches mingle, and as a glimpse of blue shuts in the end of some green dingle, Framed in an arch of greenery where that long alley closes, He sees a flight of steps, a gate o'ergrown with truant roses, And someone who beside the gate in that warm sunshine dozes. Was ever there found a sleeper so sound, He thumps him and shakes him, but that never wakes him, not kick, tweak, or pinch can stir him an inch. I don't think he'd stir if you gave him a pig, an immoderate slice of the coldest cold pig, cries the prince sleeping o'er the page kills on door. So he left the inveterate sleeper to snore, while he ventures on farther the place to explore. Tis a very fine place, as one clearly may trace, Though by Jove, said the prince, as he made a wry face, From the dirt that's about, it don't seem they can muster So much as a Turk's head, or dust-brush or duster. It's quite an inch thick. Oh, wouldn't I lick the minions for playing the slovenly trick, If I were the owner and had a big stick? Look, with curtains of velvet and carpets of plush, rooms, and yet the floor's covered with toadstools and mushrooms. It's well for the parlour-maid she'd not beside her this child when she left that great cobweb and spider. It's evident cleanliness isn't their hobby. With these words the prince reached the end of the lobby. From the lobby he passed to the guard-room, and thence to the courtyard and gardens, which both were immense. The palace he sees lies back beyond these, apparently rather too darkened by trees. They're not trees, though, he finds, bringing closer his peepers, but ivy and woodbine and other quick creepers, which, with no interference of gardeners to warrant, have climbed to the roof of the loftiest turret. How those creepers have turned and twirled, twisted, wandered, rambled and curled, such a place, I ween, had never been seen, from basement to roof in such greenery furled, throughout the whole inhabited world. For even that building, so widely known for its want of proportion, that vast abortion, the exhibition of sixty-two, though quite a monstrosity to the view, seemed half so overgrown. Swift across the court now the young prince trips, Sees around a sally-port hounds asleep in slips. Huntsmen bold return from sport, All prepared to blow a mort, Snoring horns to lips. There they were, becalmed like ships, Lying with all sail outspread, Lifeless on an ocean dead. He draws near. 
There is no one to bar his way. Even the steeds are too sleepy to utter a neigh. While each single hound in the pack, I'll be bound, is so sound, there's no chance of his making a sound, though not wanting in bark, since he's closely bound round with branches of creepers. But then, they are boughs that are not the sort to be followed by wows. One huntsman would have an ugly fall if he were not upheld by the palace wall, whence a stray branch of woodbine in pitying scorn for him has thrown out a trailer that's winding his horn for him. Another one, dropped off soundly, is propped by a buttress that stand where his steed by chance stopped. An odd pillow, I vow, for you'll surely allow that unless of some slumber your need is the utterest, a sleep on a buttress seems anything but rest. Two men in the doorway appear in a poor way, so closely they're bound and wound around, their feet in fetters, their temples crowned by the snake-like stems in their various inclinings, that they must appear to the prince, I fear, sleeping partners in some branch department of twinings. Past grooms as unawakened as sad sinners, past screws of hunters sound as derby winners, past hounds as fast no less as the express through Bedfordshire into the land of Nod. The young prince trod, and on through corridors and long arcades, halls wrapped in sombre shades, and anterooms wherein had echo slept so long, it scarce awakened as he stepped lightly and swiftly o'er the dusty floor, that sadly stood in need of being swept. And ever and anon, as he passed on, in room, in hall, on stair, here, there, and everywhere, he came on sleepers sleeping with the air of folks at active work, by sleep o'ertaken, whom nothing could awaken. Not even being, like physic with a sediment, that to its being swallowed an impediment, well shaken. The housemaid, seeming in fuss and fluster, Dripping downstairs with feather-broom and duster, Caught unaware upon the bottom stair by sudden slumber, Had quite failed to muster sufficient sense To rouse herself to any stir, And so lay dozing up against the banister. A lackey, carrying upstairs the coal-scuttle, Had fallen napping, and let fall the whole scuttle. A giddy page was, with another youngster of his age, playing at fly the garter in the hall, when both asleep did fall. One, going to take a run, straining to start, as when is trained a puppy, any pointer or sporting dog, and there gets up any partridge or pheasant, in the slips heel strain. The other of the twain had fallen asleep while tucking in his twopenny. Within their barracks, several of the guards were quarrelling in their slumber over cards. The butler in the cellar at the tap was taking such a nap he'd filled his silver flagon o'er and o'er and let the wine run all about the floor until the cask was drained and held no more. 
but he'd continued after that to snore until he was as dusted and cobwebbed and encrusted as rare old port bottled in thirty-four all these the prince passed by with stealthy tread as on he sped until he reached the grandest room of all the banquet hall where on the board a mighty feast was spread but since the day when first the cloth was laid time had strange havoc made with dish and dainty on the board arrayed had played strange tricks with those some five or six people of station who had been favoured with an invitation to dinner with the ruler of the nation in short to no conclusion harsh to jump any person of taste had thought the king disgraced not only by his room but by his company vast mushrooms spawn of hideous dreams had quickened in the rotting seams and dusty cobwebs huge wherein did bloated spiders lie and fain to sleep were hung on high but there was neither gnat nor fly to catch by subterfuge the very mice had fallen asleep that ventured in that hall to creep and where the sun athwart the gloom poured through the pane a glittering lane like dreamland's golden bridge you looked for stir of life in vain because the very midge slept in that drowsy room as silent as the tomb the king with half-way to his lips the beaker and head half turning to the latest speaker presiding o'er his banquet slumbered there amid like the first pharaoh sleeping in his pyramid while the prime minister acute and wise still saw what must be done with fast shut eyes and as behoved him in the royal presence kept nodding to his sovereign acquiescence the treasurer and chancellor of exchequer was bolt upright and trim as a three-decker for raising coin and borrowing he was meant and nobody could ever say he lent to right or left even when of sense bereft the secretary foreign and domestic upright did less stick and being long accustomed to indite inclined to write beside the door a sentry stood like the roman soldier in the entry discovered in the ruins of pompeii or herculaneum which was you see i have got no book of reference at all here in the country not even what we'll call for sake of rhyme a classical inventory at any rate he stood there like a thing of wood and by his side did stand salver in hand a servitor whose duty was to cater with flagons flasks and bowls for all the thirsty souls he's called a buttery man at alma mater well there this lad of liquor remained a sticker against the stairfoot with his laden tray of claret sherry burgundy tokay and other wines we'll call etc just like a very image or dumb waiter another mid the goblets lay a sprawl it made the young prince think him o'ercome with drink which really had not been the case at all oh come he was there's no denying but twas only sleep for though the glass was cut he was not even blown 
he could have shown he did not owe to any drop his fall. Through every tiny crevice, nook and cranny, heaven knows how many of every kind of creeping plant had sprouted and grown and wandered since, till the young prince, if he were in or out of doors, half doubted. The clinging tendrils which nature, as an officer his men drills, had taught to turn one way, enwound and bound the silent sleepers who all slept so sound. One trailer formed a sort of chain between the foremost maid of honour and the queen, as if to say to those who sleeping lay, it's time to rise, good sirs, and go away. In short, the very same remark that made is by stingy hosts who save their wines by dint of the discourteous hint, come, don't you think it's time to join the ladies? The young prince gazed upon the scene amazed. He shouted. Not a single head was raised. No single sound upon the silence broke. Nobody spoke. All heads alike were bowed. He shouted loud, as one who wishes to outroar a crowd, but not a word he heard, no creature stirred, the situation rarely seemed absurd. There lay the feast, untouched for years at least, and though they'd sat so long, not one of all the throng of feeding seemed inclined to be beginner. And there was the young prince dropped in some minutes since, and making such a din since he'd come in, that he became for them another dinner. At last, tired out of vain attempts by shout, and even shake to rout from their deep sleep the slumberers about the banquet table, whether he'd be able ever to wake them, feeling quite in doubt, the prince made up his mind to leave them all behind, and see if someone waking he could find, and so passed on through halls and quiet cloisters, but everywhere found people mute as oysters and sound as tops. But yet he never stops, though neither man nor woman, girl nor boy stirs, all is as still as death, and not a breath stirs the ancestral banners or the arras no page's voice or groom's heard in the rooms no maid's shrill tongue the listener's ears to harass no step upon the stair no footfall anywhere not even on what jane housemaid calls the terrace but still the prince his onward course pursued half fearing to intrude as each fresh chamber doubtfully he stepped in. In tiring rooms he views the ladies made so tired they're in a snooze. Then for a change through sleeping rooms he'll range, which by some contradiction very strange appear the only rooms that are not slept in. Yet onward still he strays, all undecided, and yet his steps are guided. For round his head on airy pinion plays a band of fays, Who lead him forward still by devious ways, To where the sleeping beauty lies. 
O'er whose tender violet eyes For such years the lids have closed On her couch while she reposed. Come away, sang each fay, Now we hail the happy day When the prince shall break the spell Spoken by old spite the fell. Now sing we merrily, For the destined one is he, Thus all gladly sung the fays, Though he could not hear their lays, Wandering on as in a maze. Last he reached a silent chamber, Where through all the woodbine's clamour, And the rose's red profusion, And the jasmine's silver stars, Glowed the glorious sun's intrusion, Misty golden bars touching all with amber. But, or ere that room he entered, where the magic all was centred, for a space in wonder, dumbly, gazed he on that figure comely, sleeping in the snowy bed, where the sunshine splendour shed from the casement's picture pane, crimson, blue, and yellow stain in a variegated rain. Not all the colours, as we know, that in painted windows glow, can the sun contrive to throw. Primal tints, red, yellow, indigo, will, however, through a windy go. One moment on the threshold, one moment and no more. So like a thing of dreams and fairyland she seems, that he must pause till time his breath restores, and he of life take fresh hold one moment and no more. And then across the room he bounded to that white bed by clustering bloom surrounded, across the startled floor whence foot had been estranged so long before, and frightened echoes that his step awoke seemed shrieking out to hear when silence broke. In her bed, as white as snow, softly had she slumbered, wild old time with silent flow had the long years numbered. Quiet as the dead she lay, sleeping all those years away, on her pillow woodbine cumbered, wreathed with flowering may. And her breath so softly slips through the rosy-tinted lips that the white lace seems to rest moveless on her whiter breast, that it scarce appears to stir one of all the fluttering motes that in love to look at her glitter down the golden lanes that the sun pours through the panes bright with armour coats. Drawn by her sweet lips perfume as a bee to golden broom, when the braes are all in bloom, stole the prince across the room. Every step he nearer set, oped the eyes of violet, oped a little, wider yet, till the white lids quite asunder showed the beauties hidden under, showed the soft eyes full of wonder opening towards him turned, till their radiance bent upon him from his trance of marvel won him, and his bosom burned with the passion to outpour all his soul her feet before, careless if she spurned, so that he might only tell that he loved her and how well. 
Now through the palace woke the stir of life, both fork and knife were in the banquet hall with vigour plied, while far and wide awoke so great a riot after the quiet, it seemed as if the household was at strife. Girl, woman, boy and man bustled about and ran, all hurried, not one plodding because, you see, each thought that he or she had been the only one that had been nodding, and fearful of detection was bound to strive and look alive in order to escape correction. Meanwhile the red sun set, and yet the household did not into order get. All was surprise and wonder, error and blunder. The fire was out, the cook was in a pet, the feast was cold, the queen was in a fret. The hunters just returned, they thought from hunting, felt it affronting, their game should get so very high and mighty. The housemaid, seeing all the dust and dirt, felt hurt. It drove her almost crazy, at least flighty. But over all this din and turmoil soon uprose the silver moon, and by its rays shed on the dewy grass, forth from the palace that young pair did pass, and threaded the deep shades in the arcades of sombre forests that around them lay. And so they took their way to fairyland, wherein, as legends say, mid mirth and merrymaking, song and laughter, they married, living happy ever after. And there, I'm told, they're living to this day. End of The Sleeping Beauty